All right, everybody, go ahead and pull out your Bibles, something you can take notes with this morning. Thank you, worship team. Oh, shout out to Abby. She graduated high school like two days ago. So that's awesome. Yeah, elementary kids, y'all can head out. Thanks for being here. Everybody say bye, kids. All right. We are going, uh, like Chad said at the beginning of service, we're jumping right in. Shocker. Open up to the book of Revelation, chapter two. We are continuing our series that we started last week. Was anybody here last week? Last week, I was telling uh, Jordan, we were joking. I said, that was probably the best and worst sermon you've ever heard on Revelation chapter one, because probably the only one you've ever heard on Revelation chapter one. Revelation chapter two, this morning, we are going into um, the seven letters of Jesus in a series called Letters from Jesus, and we're going to be in the letter, to, uh, the letter to the church at Ephesus today. So Revelation chapter two, go ahead and stand up for the reading of the word of God this morning, and you can continue to turn there as we get into it. Let's read Revelation chapter two. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Lord, as we open up your word, we do pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Holy Spirit says to us and says to the church. We thank you that you are living and breathing right now and speaking through your word. Come and speak, and we surrender our time, and I surrender this time, Lord, that you would come and speak. So, Lord, again, give us ears to hear, hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. So like I said, we are doing a series on Revelation, which is one book better than Song of Solomon's, like we joked about last week. At least we're not doing that, you know? But so we, we covered a lot of ground last week in chapter one. If, if you missed last week, you're going to want to have listened to it for the rest of our series. So this week, go back and listen to it. But I'm going to do a little bit of review as we jump into the letter to Ephesus this morning, because you may be like me. And when I read the book of Revelation, I can get distracted very quickly. I can get distracted fairly easily with all the symbols and illusions and numbers and creatures and things, all the things and names and references. So it helps me to remember the context that Revelation chapter one gives us so that we know what we're looking for, what to be reading about, what to be expecting to see, and how to hear God through the rest of the book. Because we remember, we talked last week, the reason we start in chapter one is because God wanted to tell us how to read Revelation. We don't need to wait on somebody else to teach us how to read it. We want to read it the way God says to read it. So let's remember these things. These should be in your notes from last week, but if you missed, you get the cheat code, the short version. Revelation is about Jesus. Revelation is to his servants. That is to you and to me and to all his servants through history. It is understood through the Old Testament, not through the newspaper. 
It is from God. It is for his glory and is written to us because he is coming. So let's come into the word of God with that lens this morning. One more piece of introduction I have to give you as we now jump into the first of the seven letters. One more piece of introduction is that um, all of these letters kind of have the same general outline and flow to them. And I find that helpful as I read these. Um, again, it helps me, it helps me stay focused and, and see what I should see when I should see it. And so I want to give, uh, give this study tool to you. They all execute this outline slightly differently. There's variations, but the general flow is, uh, is similar. So all of the letters they start, you're going to want to write this down too. They start with an introduction of Jesus. They all start with Jesus introducing himself. The specific way he introduces himself um, is different every single time, but it's not random. It's not random, and we got to remember that, and we'll see that this morning. They're all different, but they're not random. Then we get into an encouragement. Who likes encouragement? Especially from Jesus. I'll always take that. Sadly, not every church gets an encouragement, but most of them do. Next, we get a rebuke. Who loves a good rebuke? Five of the seven, again, not all of them get a rebuke, but five of the seven do. And when there is a rebuke, then there is a call to repent. A call to repent. Jesus is specific in his rebuke. It's not, no, no just general, you know, hey, you're terrible, so good luck with that. You know, he, he gets specific, and then in his grace, he calls us to specific repentance so that we can be faithful to him and then the letters end with a promise for the faithful, a promise for the faithful, a promise, an inheritance for those who will stay faithful to Jesus, a promise saying, if you will choose the repentance that I have laid out for you, if you will choose to turn aside back to me away from your unfaithfulness, this is what you will inherit from me. And it's important to note, this is where you're going to see that the introduction wasn't random. It's amazing how the way Jesus introduces himself seems to always relate to the promise that he is giving to this specific church at the end. So the introduction he's giving is setting the stage for what specifically he wants to talk about and how he wants us to listen to him and the promise that he wants to give us in the end. That just sounds so exciting to me, and I hope you're pumped too. I uh, personally haven't ever spent tons of time in these letters up until the last handful of months, but oh my gosh, I am just like falling more in love with the Bible. It's so cool. So I hope you're pumped. If you're not, I am. So I'm going to at least talk loud and we're going to get into it. So let's just kind of go through the outline together. We are reading the letter to Ephesus and it starts with Jesus introducing himself. And he says this in verse one of Revelation chapter two, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Imagine if you heard that when you picked up the phone. You know, pre-caller ID. Was anybody alive pre-caller ID? Oh, this would be a good generation. Who was not alive before caller ID? Who's all? Okay, we got good. We, no youngins here. Pick up the phone. Who's this? This is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That make you perk up a little bit. And so I know it's just the Bible, but maybe we should hear it like that. Let's perk up a little bit. And here we go. Revelation strikes again. We've got stars. 
We've got lampstands. We've got angels. We've got the number seven. We've got things getting weird already in the letter to Ephesus. But let's remember some of what we learned last week. God's not trying to confuse us. He is not trying to confuse us. He is trying to show us who he is. And so there's some things that are gonna really help us get to where it is that he's wanting to take us. For those of you who are with us, uh, I referenced this last week and we'll continue to reference it, I'm sure. We spent our whole first quarter doing a course together called Biblical Formation, where we wanted to come to the Bible and let the Bible set and form in us our worldview and our faith, because we have a tendency to have a self-centered worldview. We have a tendency even to have a self-centered faith. So how do we be a biblically formed people? So if you were with us, if you could remember all the way back, this is, we're talking January, which side note, it's on like the end of May. Where did the time go? So remember with me, but all the way back to January, the very first week of biblical formation, the very beginning of the Bible, first few words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We talked about how one of the three intended unions of God's creation was that heaven and earth would be united. He created both of them. He created them to be united. He, he meant that both the heavenly and human beings would work in partnership with each other, but also with him in manifesting his kingdom on the earth. If that sounds really trippy, just go back. You got about 12 weeks and we'll tie it all together. One of the things that we see in the beginning of all these letters and specifically this letter as well is that Jesus is specifically addressing this union. He is addressing the union in his church between the heavens and the earth. He is starting out at the beginning to the angel in the church in Ephesus, right? But then as you read the body, you, you pick up and you say, okay, this is to an angel. But then when you read the body of the text, for example, in chapter two, I know your works, your toil, your pain. It's very clearly written to people. Jesus is showing us that in him, he has now tied back together the union he intended in the beginning. In the church, Jesus has restored his intended union of the heavens and the earth, partnering with him to manifest his kingdom on the earth. Somebody said, amen. I know we're talking about heavenly beings, but just it's good news. It's so encouraging. And, and so what did Jesus tell us in chapter one, verse 20? As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I appreciate him giving us the key right there. Doesn't happen all the way through Revelation, but we'll take it when we can get it. So right here in verse one, we are learning that this letter from Jesus is addressed to both spiritual and human beings because it is from him who holds both the heavenly and human beings. I'm holding the stars in my right hand. I hold, he just told us that's the angels. He, I hold the heavenly host in my right hand. And he is the one who walks among the lampstands, which is the church. Jesus is introducing himself, making clear who is speaking. And it is important for us as we read these letters to remember who he is and that this is all about him. And this is to, this is to, who's it to? It's to his servants. It's not just to me as an individual. 
It is to his servants. I think we can remember this again and again because, again, we have a tendency towards a self-centered faith. The Bible's written to me, for me, about me. But it is not. It is important to remember that this is addressed from Jesus to the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we exist unto him. We exist unto him. This letter is not that we are about to read. It is not about living your best life. It is not about how to be most fully and authentically you. This letter is about living a life unto Jesus, being shaped into his character, being shaped by his purposes. And Jesus, is his introduction of himself is going to help us from returning back to our self-centered worldview, from returning back to our self-centered faith. And this specific introduction sets the tone for what he wants us to hear as he speaks to us in this letter from Ephesus. He opens his letter saying, write to the church of Ephesus, write to my people, write to the beings, the spiritual beings I've assigned to cover them, to fight with them, to minister to them, to message to them, write to the church in Ephesus and let them know the king is speaking. Are we paying attention now? Verse two, I know your works and your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. And then he brings back a second encouragement in verse six. Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. If you are a Christian, this is the type of stuff you want to hear Jesus say to you. They're doing great. I just, I just want, if Jesus is going to show up in his white robe and sash and hair and fiery eyes, I sure would love to hear him say, hey, I know your work. I know your toil. I know your endurance. Oh, they are working out their faith in their lives, the people of Ephesus. They're toiling. How many of you know it's, it's sometimes it's work to follow Jesus? It's work to work this stuff out. It's work to hear his voice. It's work to respond. <laughs> it's work to humble yourself and let go sometimes. They are, and they're toiling through the challenges of responding to Jesus. They're, they're toiling through the challenges of following Jesus in a world that's always trying to pull them away. They're patiently enduring together as they pursue the kingdom of God. They're not distracted they're not distracted by people who claim to be godly but aren't. People who are real fancy and sound real nice but have no substance to them. People who claim to be leading them and speak smoothly but they are not leading them in the word of God. They've got a filter. They, they don't settle. They don't settle. They're not just chasing the whims of the world. These people are doing it. And not just because it's easy. They are putting in the work. And in verse six, when he adds to the encouragement, Jesus says again, yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Who are these guys? Sounds like bad news. If I know a Nicolaitan, I probably shouldn't hang out with them, huh? You know, what's going on here? Well, for the sake of time, we're just going to breeze past this. Um, but basically, 
The Nicolaitans is a reference to people who were claiming to be Christians, but they kind of also had a tolerance for things like sexual morality and idolatry and that kind of stuff. They were okay to compromise. They, they loved Jesus, but they also loved some other stuff. They, they claimed to be Christians, but they were fine to compromise concerning their purity. See, these people, they were Christians, but, but they kind of liked to drink the spiritual cocktail too. Sip a little bit of that on the side. They, 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 got, they got their cocktail, they got a little bit of this, they got a little bit of that, and ooh, we liked some Jesus too. And they called that faithfulness. They called that Christianity. See, I follow Jesus, but your God works too. I worship Jesus, but let's not get exclusive about all of this. And Jesus says to his people in Ephesus, I hate that stuff. I hate that stuff. And I'm so proud of you because you hate it too. How uncomfortable is that? See, the Jesus I know doesn't talk like that. Sometimes we get this caricature of Jesus that like, you know what I'm saying. But uh, this is how he talks. Ephesus is a church that loves Jesus. They are devoted to Jesus. They love his church. They love the gospel. And Jesus shows up and just starts celebrating that about them. I want to hear that from Jesus. All of this. He says all of this. All of this is true about them. And Jesus needs to address something in this great church. It's a great church, but, but it's not perfect. You ever been a part of a great church that's not perfect? <laughs> Verse four. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You have abandoned the love you had at first. This is interesting to me. It's clear that they haven't, they haven't lost their love for Jesus. He's, he's got three verses in here talking about, you, about how much they love Jesus. See, sometimes I, I, I just kind of thought before I, I dug into this, when I breeze over these verses, you know, because that's how you read Revelation, you just sort of breeze and you're like, I did it. I read the whole Bible in a year. <laughs> I did it. It's, if I, when I breeze past it, it seems like this, this is a church that's lost their love for Jesus. But that's not at all the case. Verses two and three, Jesus is saying, no, y'all love me. You're not compromising. You love me. They, they haven't lost their love for Jesus. What they have done is they have abandoned the love they had for him at first. My son is four years old. His name's Smith. He's adorable. <laughs> and he loves toys. He loves toys. He loves his toys. He loves Target's toys. He loves your kids' toys. <laughs> He loves getting toys. He loves toys. I love throwing things away. <laughs> so when too many things get left in too many places around the house, my go-to is just grab a trash bag and start throwing stuff away. I know it's terrible, but... And it's always amazing to me, whenever this happens, whenever, whenever, whenever too many things get left and I start getting in my mode of, I've learned, like, don't just throw it away. We got to at least have a conversation first. So I'm maturing. Good job, Andrew. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's always amazing to me the depth of devastation 
with which Smith will respond when I even hint at the idea that we might possibly need to get rid of toys that he hasn't touched for months. Meltdown. Trauma. Pain. Lots of pain. It is literally a traumatic experience just for me to mention this idea in my household. And it's fascinating to me because clearly these toys are not a priority anymore, but clearly he still loves them. He still loves that toy deeply, but not like he did at first. This comment from Jesus, you have abandoned the love you had for me at first. It harkens back to something that he spoke through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter two, verse two, when he's speaking to his people. And the Lord says, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. I remember what it was like at first. All we needed was us, right? We didn't need all this other stuff. It was just you and me, and that was, that was enough. I remember the devotion of your youth. I remember what it was like at first. Jesus is saying to his people at Ephesus, I know you're committed to this marriage. You're not running off into spiritual adultery, which is idolatry. You love me, but not like you did at first. Not like you did at first. Jesus is encouraging them for their maturity. You're growing. You're learning. You're testing. You're enduring. You're working. You are maturing, but in their maturity, they have forgotten what it is to be like a child. And I get it. I get it. I mean, life can get so complicated, can't it? I mean, the more life I live, I, I mean, I feel like I'm getting old. I just shouted out Abby for graduating high school. That was like 100 years ago. I just turned 32 a couple weeks ago. <laughs> and I know, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely in the life stage where there's a lot of things that fit into the category of like 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Remember, you know, like I remember when I was like in the, my 20s and 10 years ago meant like 10 or 11 years old. I was like, okay, I remember that. That feels old. But now I'm like 10 years ago, I was in my 20s. I've lived a lot of life is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Maybe not that much. But what I have done is I've lived enough to learn that the more life I live, the more complicated my life gets. The more complicated it gets. Things used to be so simple. But then, you know, get married and the kids and the job and the money and the bills and the this and the schedule and the that and the hobbies and the older age and the little bit less energy and the more responsibility. All good things, all needed things, all very mature things, but none of them first things. Seek first the kingdom of God. 
and all these things will be added unto you. Notice that Jesus does not come to this church and tell them that they have lost the love they had at first. Jesus says, you have abandoned it. Somewhere along the way, life has gotten more complicated. And as it's gotten more complicated, there have been more things to carry. And somewhere along the way, the choice has been made to abandon the love they had at first so they could hold something else. I only have so much space in my arms to hold so many things. It is obvious to us that we do not tend towards seeking the kingdom first, right? Is that news to anybody? We, we, don't, we don't tend towards seeking the kingdom first. It always takes a choice. It always takes a choice. When we seek the kingdom first, it is because we have chosen to seek the kingdom first. We know that. We know that intuitively. Now that I've said it out loud, you would say, yes, absolutely. Uh, as annoying as it is, I wish I would just get in autopilot mode, but it always takes my choice to seek the kingdom first. The opposite is also true. We are not helpless passengers in our lives. We are not simply victims to our circumstances. When we do not seek the kingdom first, it is because we have chosen not to seek the kingdom first. Yes, it gets harder, but it's still always a choice. Yes, things get more complicated, but you still always have the choice. Yes, the momentum of culture and life is against the things of God, but you have choices and you make them every day. What will be first? You choose every day what you will carry and what you will abandon. Jesus points out to this church. They've made a choice. They've made a choice to abandon the love they had at first. But he only points out this choice in his grace. Because by pointing out the choice they have made, he presents them with the opportunity to make a new choice. And can I tell you that that is a good biblical definition of rebuke? <laughs> it is the Lord presenting you a new choice. Verse five, remember therefore, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Do the works you did at first. Again, when I, when I would, would skim these verses, I thought, you know, you abandoned the love you had at first. It was like, oh, they don't love Jesus anymore. They need to get back to just resting in the presence of God and just sitting in the presence of God. But that's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's saying, no, you need to choose to do the works you did at first. You need to choose to go back to like what it was at first. Yes, we sit together. Yes, that's what, that's what the toiling is. That's what the enduring is. That's what all of that is. But there's also a mission that we're on. You need to jump back in to the mission. You need to jump back into the works that we did at first. Do you remember what it was like when you tasted my grace for the first time? I need you to choose to remember what it was like when you heard my voice for the first time. Choose to remember what it was like when you experienced that freedom for the first time. Choose to remember what it was like when you knew I loved you for the first time. Choose to remember. 
Jesus is pointing out something spectacular for us. The evidence of spiritual maturity is not in the things that you know. It's not in the degrees that you have. It's not in the concepts that you can explain. It's not in the positions that you might hold at church. The evidence of spiritual maturity is childlike faith. As life gets more complicated, as time continues to pass, as the cost continues to rise, and even when passion fades, spiritual maturity keeps things simple. Spiritual maturity is the ability to make the complicated simple. It's a childlike faith. A childlike faith. Childlike faith chooses to be hungry like you were at first, even when you don't feel it. Childlike faith chooses to run towards repentance like you did at first, even when you don't know if you need it that bad anymore. Childlike faith chooses to share with others like you did at first, even though you've gotten so much better at it and you have so much more developed thoughts and you've gotten more methods and training and now you really know how it ought to be done. Childlike faith chooses not to care what people thought like you didn't care what people thought at first. Childlike faith chooses to open up your Bible like you opened it at first, like you knew nothing, like you just wanted to hear him, like you just wanted to see him, like you just wanted to be shaped by it. Childlike faith makes a choice. Childlike faith chooses to worship like you did at first, even though you've gotten older. Childlike faith chooses, chooses passion even when you don't feel it. Childlike faith chooses obedience even though you've gotten to a point now where you could probably skate by a little bit and nobody would notice. Childlike faith chooses to believe that he is who he said that he is even though you've got a few more disappointments that you've picked up along the way. Childlike faith chooses to believe that I know I've been to church now 100,000 times, but I still believe he is here and he is walking among the lampstands. Childlike faith chooses to believe that when he says he created the heavens and the earth and he holds the seven stars in his right hand and the Bible says he writes this letter to the angels. I know it sounds crazy now, but maybe there's more going on than what I can see. Childlike faith chooses simplicity. Jesus is not asking you this morning to have a feeling. Jesus is asking you to make a choice. As I was hinting at earlier, I'm beginning to see that this is and will always be one of the greatest challenges of my life as I continue to follow Jesus. It is not going to be sex that derails me, money that derails me, pride that derails me. It won't be anything out there that derails me. If there be anything that take me away from Jesus, it will be my own choice to abandon the love I had for him at first. If I am not loving Jesus with my at-first love, I will give my at-first love to something else. And whatever has my at-first love will eventually get the rest of it too. And that is why Jesus is so terrifyingly serious about this whole thing. He goes on, if not, if you don't repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus knows better than we do the reality that he revealed to us in chapter one. The reality that there is Jesus 
And there is everything and everyone else. Jesus knows better than we do that Jesus is king. And if we do not partner with him in his mission, we should not expect that he will settle for partnering with us in our mission. He is king. The church in Ephesus has let the mission slide. They are pursuing personal maturity over the presence of God. They are pursuing tidy church over raw hunger and passion and repentance. Their, their passion for reaching the lost has begun to grow cold. So Jesus puts this choice before them. And as he does, he closes with this invitation to promise in verse seven. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Okay, remember with me back, biblical formation, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Remember back to the garden. Do you remember back in the garden when, when God had to send Adam and Eve out? So, so why? What did he say? Unless they eat of the tree of life and live forever. You remember the hyphen? Remember the garden? You remembering this? The tree of life is back. Revelation chapter two. God had to send them out so they wouldn't eat of the tree of life and live forever in a state of rebellion, in a state of separation. In the garden, Adam and Eve, they abandoned the love they had at first and they gave themselves to pursue other things. But now, in Jesus, the one who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Priests who is God and Father, we are now invited back again to live eternal life in his presence as we choose to love him like we did at first. Some of you, you know, when you look back at when you first started following Jesus, you remember the fire of it all. You remember the passion. You remember the joy. You remember the freedom. And some of you would say really honestly this morning, Pastor Andrew, I don't know that I could ever say this has ever really been like that. It's just sort of always been what we did or whatever. But regardless of what you would say about that this morning, there is the same question that is before every single one of us and us collectively as a community, who are you going to live for now? Who are you going to live for? Who are you going to live for? Who are you going to give your at first love to? Will you wait on it to happen for itself, for it to happen by itself, or will you choose? Will you choose this day who you will serve? And this is... Intense and heavy, inspiring and exciting. I want to do this, but how do I do it? How do I give my at first love? And I know I said this a few weeks ago, but you know, we all want to be told what to do until the pastor tells you what to do. And uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, I shared a message with you called Let's Get Lunch, where I talked about putting up bumpers in your life. 
putting up bumpers in your life like when you go bowling so that as you look forward to the life that you wanna live after the last 14 months we've had where so much has fallen asleep, so much hasn't been your choice, as, as we begin to look forward, what are the bumpers we're gonna put up so that we stay focused on the things of Jesus? And, and I knew coming back into that message, I knew it was weird. I knew it was weird. I knew it was weird to talk about tithing and serving in church and reaching the lost on Mother's Day. I mean, the looks I got when everyone started to click, we're not talking about moms. <laughs> I knew I had been gone for four weeks and that it was kind of a weird message to come back and preach right off the bat. I knew it wasn't a message that most of us really ever wanna hear, but the truth is that already for several months, I've been reading Revelation 2, 1 through 8, and I have been praying it over us. And God's been pressing it on my heart heavy. <laughs> and I have been hearing Jesus speak this letter to us here at Antioch Indy. He has been speaking it to, to us and, and I've been praying it over us. Lord Jesus, I know we love you. I know we love you. And, and as I look forward into this, this whatever after the last 14 months, as we look forward, I'm, I'm not really concerned that we won't continue to love you, but, but will we choose to love you like we did at first? My dear friends, this is no joke. Jesus is very serious about this. And every single one of us needs to assume this morning, right now, we have a choice to make about what we will seek first. For the last couple of months, as I've been praying this passage over us, for this moment in time, I've been feeling the weight of it. And um, I know it sounds way too simplistic. And I know this isn't the things we want to be told what to do. But the bumpers that I talked to you about two weeks ago, I am very serious about for your sake. Tithing. If he's not first in your money, how is he going to be first in your life? Be committed to the church. Be here, be on time, and contribute. Serve, do something. If, if, if the people of God, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, if serving the body and the bride of Jesus isn't a priority in your life, how is serving him a priority in your life? intentionally looking for the people in your life who aren't following Jesus? Who in your life doesn't know him? Who in your life isn't following him? And how can you partner with Jesus in helping that person know him? What can you invite them to? What can you share with them? What friendship can you build with them? If we are not gonna be a part of his mission, then how can we say we are living for him? These are not things that I need for you, from you. <laughs> These are just the simple things. The simple things that are gonna help us keep life from getting way too complicated and make us abandon the love we had at first. What choice do you need to make? What choice do you need to make? What choice do we need to make? For some of you, it's one of those three things. You need to start tithing. You need to start serving. You need to decide, you know what? I'm gonna be on time for church like I am for everything else in my life that I say is important. You might need to invite that neighbor to life group finally. You might need to, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what your choice is, but what's your choice? Do you need to sign up for Wake Indy that's happening next month? Do you just need to stop weighing Antioch Discipleship School and you got all these questions, but you need to just sacrifice the questions for the sake of hunger and just say, you know what, forget it. I don't even know, but I'm doing it. I just, I just need to make a choice. Is there something that you know you've left behind on the journey that God's highlighting right now that you just need to go back and pick up? Is there something that God's been putting in front of you for a while 
that you've been navigating, analyzing. I know you would never do this, but maybe sometimes I do. And it's just time to say yes. It's just time to say, okay, yeah, Lord, I, I don't need to know it all. I, I'll, just, I'll just do. If you're saying just, just put the right foot in front, I don't need to know about the left foot yet. The right foot will do. What's your decision? I know that this is really intense. And I know this isn't very comfortable to hear. And this is not, I can tell you, a comfortable message to give. I know it's not cozy. This isn't a message that's going to impress anybody and grow the church and make me a bunch of friends. But you and me, you and me, at the end of the day, we're not here for all of that first. That's not why you're here. That's not why I'm here. All that stuff is great. And don't get me wrong. I know we all have a lot going on in life. We have a lot to think about. We got a lot to figure out. We have a lot to do. And we want a lot of things. But what I know is that you and I, what we want first is to be conquerors. We want to be conquerors. We want most. We want first to be those who when this breath of life passes away in just a moment. We want to be those who when the wind blows and we fade like a flower and we wither like grass. What you and I want most, we want to be invited into the paradise of God to feast forever on the tree of eternal life. That's what you and I want first. I want you to stand as we close our time together this morning. I don't know what decision it is that you might need to make in your life, but I would encourage you to make it. What I can tell you is you do have a choice. Every single one of us has a choice. Only you may know what it is, but I encourage you to do it. And as we end our time in worship, we're gonna have our prayer team come up to the front. And if you need prayer for anything in your life, you need to confess anything, you need a miracle, you need anything in your life at all, please come up to the front. You might need to repent. You might need somebody to just say like, I'm terrified to do this thing that God's asking me to do. I just need a friend. But don't leave church without getting the prayer that you need. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Lord, we do love you and we celebrate you this morning. We worship you. We honor you. We need you. We welcome your voice into our life and we come humbly and we say, Holy Spirit, speak. We really do want to hear and we really do want to respond. So come in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.